All right, time for another episode of Running with the Money. Kent Brown on the line. Kent, thanks for joining me today. Well, of course, it's week six. We got to get this going, and uh, we are one person short. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to maybe get into details on Matt Gothard and where he's at, but it does seem to be interesting circumstances that we just found out about this morning yeah we uh we plan this i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna be uh as transparent as i can be uh and i think we'll get into that a little bit but we planned on doing this every week and we are going to do this every week unless unforeseen things come up uh those things do tend to happen but yeah we got an interesting message from gothard i don't think we can reveal all of it although uh i think the gist of it kent you'd agree is that he was very excited maybe a little too excited that our moneymaker pick hit finally last week with Syracuse? Yeah, I would say that. And then let's just say he and I were texting yesterday about our potential moneymaker pick this week. And he might have he might have left the state to try to make sure that that pick goes through in multiple different places in a state that's legalized at the moment. I, I want to <laughs> make it clear to anybody out there that may be listening, uh, I do not know exactly what he's doing. So I just, you can't and use this against me. Right. I was going to say, and that's for the better. The less you know, the more that can't be used against you. Right. This is a secure line. So just, just want to point that out. But we're going to hold the fort down this week. Uh, he, he gave us some interesting choices for picks that we're going to get into. But Kent, last week, week five was uh, very interesting in a lot of ways. Some interesting developments in the betting world. I want to start with the primetime games, though. You had Ohio State, Penn State which was as interesting as any game that I can remember. A lot of controversial decision-making down the stretch. And then Notre Dame with the game of the year for them by far, putting it on Stanford, running away in that one. So two teams in Ohio State and Notre Dame that get enormous wins, but I know the betters are looking at it a little differently. Oh, exactly. I think whenever you look at those two games in particular, you had an Ohio State team that found a way to win Penn State team that had opportunities to pull it out even after giving up the big lead and I think for Notre Dame Stanford it was a matter of Stanford's physical team the last few years they're a team that prides themselves on winning the battle of the line of scrimmage and that just did not occur against Notre Dame at all I think they had 50 rush yards Notre Dame had 270 rush yards or so and it just wasn't the type of game Stanford's been used to in the past for Ohio State, and they are your team, I know, their defense is still very vulnerable. They give up a lot yeah. of big plays. So does Penn State. But I think whenever you look at Ohio State now the rest of the way, they have a really good offense. They have a defense that Nick Bosa will probably be back at some point. And I would say altogether, I feel pretty good about Ohio State's chances of improving more so than maybe Stanford out of those two teams or Penn State will be in the mix. But yeah. I wouldn't say I'd read too much into all of it with any of those four teams in that it makes one of them so much better or so much worse. I think Stanford's still a top 25 type of team. Right. I think Penn State will be in the mix for the playoffs. Ohio State will be in the mix. And if Notre Dame can continue winning, they'll be in the mix. Yeah, I do want to point out, this is why you take the points. Ohio State did not cover their spread depending on where you got it they only win this game by uh a couple of points there but i, I want to say another thing too kent stanford's win over oregon looks even more kind of fluky with this win i know notre dame played well but this is a stanford team that we were thinking okay well they they had a bad one against oregon this was another not so great one for them and all credit goes to notre dame for winning this game but yeah their defense did not look like it was up to speed and I just don't see them dealing well with top-flight teams. Having said that, I don't think the Pac-12 is that good. And we said on our preview show that I like Stanford with about two losses to still contend for the Pac-12, and I'm still thinking the same thing. Yeah, they'll compete. I think ultimately Washington is still the team to beat in the Pac-12. But Oregon, if they were to beat Washington next week in Eugene, then it's maybe a three-way tie with all the teams beating each other, and then it goes down to overall Pac-12 record or if anyone cannot trip up the rest of the way. But, yes, yeah, Stanford's still in the mix for the conference. However, I do think Washington right now, especially being a more physical team, will probably have the edge over Stanford, but they lost to them last year, so there's no guarantee they're going to beat them this year. 
For sure, for sure. Interesting. I mean, James Franklin, not his best game at all in the Penn State one. I think that's an understatement. And Ohio State's defense is vulnerable. They still do have a pass rush that basically kept them in it early when their offense wasn't working well. So it was a it was a fun Saturday night. And even some of the day games were were exciting. None of the uh, none of the three teams in the big SEC you know spreads that we talked about covered, which I thought was interesting. We were. I was dead wrong on BYU Washington. Washington put it on them, but I did have one one interesting uh, inkling there, and that is Northwestern keeping it close against Michigan. Northwestern, frankly, could have won that game. They were up seventeen to nothing. They led into the fourth quarter, and Michigan usually beats bad teams pretty good, and that's why Gothard and I last week said they'll probably cover. But when you look at Michigan this week, they have a Maryland team that has shown that they can rise when they play good teams and struggle when they play bad teams. They got crushed by Temple in week two, but they dominated Texas week one. So that's not a gimme this week. It is at the big house. I think Michigan does win, but that is one that I would be a little bit concerned about. But with us, you talk about day games, that Clemson-Syracuse game was perfect for us. That was the moneymaker. We said Syracuse plus 25 or 25 and a half, and it was never in doubt. They had the lead throughout the game. They gave it up late. And they showed they're a solid football team this year. Clemson showed they had the ability to make plays late to win. But if you would have told us before the game, Syracuse is up 10 and Chase Bryce is playing quarterback, I think we would have felt pretty good about their chances to win the game outright. So for them to lose that game, they'll probably look back and regret a lot of what they did. But in the second half, Clemson completely shut them down. And then late in the game when Bryce needed to hit the fourth and sixth pass, he put it on the money perfectly, and they found a way to win. And Travis Etienne, he doesn't get a ton of respect over the last couple of years because Clemson's defense and their stars on the defensive line. But the guy has been great since his first game freshman year last season, and he was really the reason why they won this game because they fed him the football. They understood that this is what you do to win the game with a third-string quarterback two weeks ago. Now your starter in that moment – or not starter, but your first-string guy in that moment – so I think that Clemson was smart to rely on the running game and then hope to limit what your quarterback could do. Yeah, I feel a little bad, Kat. Not too much because we won money, obviously, but <laughs> we pretty much clinched clinched it in my mind when Lawrence got hurt. So I did throw a little. Oh, fist, of course, I did throw a little fist pump there. You know, not not rooting for a career-ending injury, but you know, kind of you know knowing that we won. Yeah, imagine that. You know, it's one thing for us to just be watching the game in our own places, but if you're at the sports book and somebody has that, especially if they have that Syracuse money line, which I think was twelve to one, Trevor Lawrence goes down and you're thinking, This bet is probably fifty fifty at this point now. And, you know, I even texted you guys and said live betting, Syracuse has to be the favorite uh at that moment and they weren't, but as the game went on it looked like they could have been. But yeah, credit Clemson, and I said this on my college football experience podcast earlier this week. You have to credit the teams last week who found ways to make plays in the fourth quarter. Ohio State made more plays than Penn State. Notre Dame made more plays than Stanford. Clemson made more plays than Syracuse. You throw in the fact that even Florida and Florida State and their wins over Mississippi State and Louisville, they made more plays in the closing moments. So sometimes stay close, find a way in the fourth quarter to get those big plays and then escape with a win. And that's what a lot of teams did last week. Notre Dame didn't escape. They separated, but it's the same difference. They had a seven-point lead early in the fourth, extended it to 21. So if you can make more plays in the fourth, that's usually a, a good sign that you'll win the game. Anything else, Kent, before we move on to this week? Any house cleaning from last week? Some cool developments or maybe some deep-dive degenerate games? Uh, I would say I was... Not necessarily disappointed in Buffalo because they've been pretty good for me this year. But wow, yeah. Buffalo just got spanked by Army, and that was actually a friend of mine's best bet of the week where he was all over Army plus the nine. And for them to lose going away makes me feel pretty good about them this week against a pretty bad Central <laughs> Michigan team. And then I would say outside of that, there's not a whole lot. I was just excited that both Miami and Notre Dame looked really good in their wins, and which has nothing to do with our side of things here on running with the money, but those are two teams that I was happy to see get better week to week and look the part. And I guess I would say good on Kentucky. They proved me wrong. Last week I discussed that South Carolina-Kentucky game and Cal-Oregon as two teams I like to win as underdogs, and they both got spanked. Oregon 
dominated Cal. And then Kentucky did what they've been doing all year, play good defense, run the football, limit mistakes, hope you make a few mistakes and capitalize off of it. And uh, they have a pretty interesting game this week at Texas A&M, which you know, I think is one of the more intriguing games on the whole schedule. Certainly is. The one thing I'd say to add to that, Kent, is Florida State-Louisville. How much of that did you catch? Your really entertaining bad game where the points didn't oh, matter. I, I watched pretty much every snap. Oh, wow. You know, that was one of those games that, like, in that window, that was one of those games I that's got like to a, see that's just a about all of it. That's a revelation. In an, and in I was an coming off meeting. a roll. Well, and I was coming <laughs> off a roll lack of sleep from the Ryder Cup. So, uh, fortunately, Team USA was so bad on that early Saturday morning slate on the Ryder Cup that I sort of went to sleep earlier than anticipated. I'm like, you know what? I could have stayed up all night. I didn't quite do it because they stunk. So I was able to get enough sleep to watch more college football than I anticipated. Originally, my plan was stay up all night for Ryder Cup, which I tried to do. And then it was just there was no reason to. USA was getting crushed. And then I got to see a little bit. You know, here's Syracuse Clemson. Here's Louisville, Florida State. And I caught way more of it than what I originally thought. If USA was better last week, and that's another one. You want to talk about gambling wins and losses last week. Francesco Molinari was amazing for the Ryder Cup team. The only two Europeans I took on my Ryder Cup team were Molinari and Fleetwood, the two highest-scoring Europeans. However, I had All-Americans on the rest of my team, so that (laughs) didn't go as well. Although one of them did pretty well. Like Justin Thomas was solid. The rest of them, not as much. Tiger was awful. But, yes, Ryder Cup was big. I know we'll probably touch upon big uh, UFC 230 this, uh, this weekend up in New York. I believe it's in New York, right? No, this one's 229 in Vegas. This 229 in Vegas, okay. And then 230 is the Rockhold and Weidman one coming yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, then the next fight, okay. So I do want to talk about the Khabib and McGregor fight because mm-hmm. I like, again, I like one of them, and mm-hmm. I'll break down why, okay. and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So, But with that, golf now is pretty much over until January, and then there is that whole Tiger Phil thing in November. And then we'll we'll touch upon some UFC here. And then if you really want to get degenerate, which I think you and I we Do, enjoy yes, doing, yes, and we enjoy pro wrestling as well. Oh, man. There is a there is a card in Australia that starts. <laughs> we're at, betting on a fixed. Now we're talking about betting on prescripted. Uh, no, I love it. Keep going. <laughs> well, it starts at 5 a.m. Eastern time, 2 a.m. our time here on the West Coast. It's in Australia. That's less than a day away when you're going to be listening to this. And you have Triple H and Undertaker, a couple three versus three matches, you know, Rousey fighting in it and her and the Bella Twins. So and there are it's still hilarious to me that there are actual lines you can bet (laughs) for wrestling pay-per-views or what they call them now special events since it's on the network. But, you know, next next month, a summer or a Survivor Series, I think you and I might be trying to look to go to that, especially if the rumored match of Shawn Michaels Undertaker (laughs) takes place. And let's just say this, next month, if we go to that, we will be doing some betting while we're there, and we will be discussing it on the podcast, because there's no reason you can go to a pay-per-view. I was at SummerSlam, I've been to WrestleManias, and it's always fun to just pick one or two. I, of course, one of the dumbest bets I've ever made in my life that I look back at and say, why did I do that? (laughs) I bet against (laughs) The Undertaker before the Brock Lesnar streak. I thought he was going to lose the year before two triple h and eh, i was wrong so it happens hey that, that that is ridiculous but it could be worse i mean if we were a little older you probably would have taken mr t too against rocky i i heard there was a doctor who did that at one point i don't think it ended well for him <laughs> it certainly didn't uh, all right let's go now running with the money to college football and get away to back to real uh sports with not predetermined outcomes and we'll talk about saturday this slate of games the first saturday in october want to point out one thing though Kent, just so you know, I saw this stat today. There's been 17 in the last four years on this weekend, unranked teams beating ranked teams. So the average is about four a week on this exact weekend. So I don't know if this is going to play into your betting factor, but something to worth noting that even though the slate doesn't look as appetizing, upsets are going to happen this month. And you know what this means then a lot? If you can get those home teams against a ranked team home dogs. and they're unranked, that's where, exactly, that's where you might be able to throw yourself into that it does seem just looking through the list though a lot of these teams are on the or are at home but again kentucky texas a&m we'll have to throw that out there that's one that's not however though 
in this one, the unranked team is the favorite. So right. I'm just kind of scrolling through right now, and there's not a ton of attractive ones at the moment. But you are right. This is the time of season where that stuff starts to go down. I'll tell you one that I really like, Kent, off the bat, early morning. I want to keep it going with my orange brethren. The Kool-Aid tastes great. I, I spiked it a little bit, but I'm okay after that, uh, after that initial run. Syracuse at Pitt. I like Syracuse to keep it going. The Lions drop down to three. I think Dino Babers is going to continue rolling against Pitt. I know you got some ties, some feelings for Pitt, but I, I just like Syracuse in this matchup. I do too, and a lot of it is they just look like a way better team at the moment. If you look at Pitt, I think that the defense hasn't improved the way that Pat Narduzzi has wanted it to. The offense is up and down. They run the football pretty well, but the passing game's inconsistent. And for Syracuse, I know that they did almost nothing in the second half offensively last week, but the first half they were looking like what Babers wants Syracuse to be, and they were going for fourth downs. They were making plays, and for Pitt, you know what Pitt presents you. They're going to run that quarters man-to-man defense on the back end, and if you can beat them one-on-one, you're going to have chances to score. And a lot of teams over the years have been able to beat them one-on-one. And I look at Syracuse's receiving core, and I have no reason to think they won't. So I'm with you. I do like that one. The orange early in the morning going at Pitt and probably leaving with maybe only a touchdown victory or eight points or something like that. But that would be an easy cover if that happens. Yeah, that line movement three was interesting to me. And I'm, I'm all over Syracuse, one of my confident picks this week, in honor of our, our friend and, and co-host of the show, Matt Gothard, who again couldn't be with us today due to undisclosed, uh, unannounced decisions. Ohio State, Indiana, his running gag of will Ohio State cover. He likes to bet against them. The Buckeyes, after their big win, are at home against Indiana, 27-point favorites. Now, they are coming off of a big emotional win on the road at Penn State, feeling pretty good. This is when letdowns tend to happen. On the other hand, it's Indiana. So how do you think this goes? Do the Buckeyes cover? I would say they probably don't, and a lot of it is it doesn't really matter to them this week if they win by 30 or 20. And on top of it, IU, they seem to play really good teams tough for a while, meaning if it's Ohio State or Michigan when they're good or Michigan State when they're ranked or Penn State, they'll lose, but it's usually they're down seven, then they lose by 14, or they're down three and they lose by 10. So in this game, I think Ohio State wins. I'm not necessarily sure that after last week's game where everything was put into it, you know, all your top guys were playing as many reps as they could. You have that emotional letdown. You're at home. It's a team that Ohio State probably doesn't respect a whole lot. I could see them only winning by 17 or 20. So I would, if you're going to have to have me choose this one, I would take the 27 and feel decent about it just because IU is not a bad team. Like they're going to be in a bowl game this year, most likely. And, Maybe it's a 42 to 21 type of game or 37 to 13 type of game and they cover. I think there's a lot of situations where IU ends up covering in this game and maybe Ohio State just goes out and puts up 60. That could happen. But I doubt this week that they're going to have the capacity or even want to play their starters all four quarters if they don't have to. For me, I'm going to go back to the Buffalo Bulls at Central Michigan, 9 a.m. for us, noon on the East Coast. Central Michigan, the Chippewas have not been very good this year. Buffalo is only a seven and a half point favorite. I like them to bounce back. This isn't a triple option team. Last week, the triple option gave them nightmares that confused them. I think Buffalo will be better this week. And so I think the Bulls with Johnson, one of the top receivers in the country, a really good quarterback and a lot of firepower, probably win this by by double figures. And it's a good early morning, you set the tone type of game. But I do know there's definitely a noon Eastern game that we have to discuss, and that's down in the state of Arkansas. And I know that you, me, and our boy Gothard, the reason why he might not even be around to, to discuss this for the next couple of days is because he likes this one a lot. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> we will, we will. It, it, and you know, He might it, actually be on his way to Arkansas to go to this game I, I, now not, just to cheer. I'm not gonna, I wouldn't put it past him. I'm not going to officially say, confirm or deny whether or not you know he, he called me directly on the phone. There may have been you know, that song Escape, like do you like pina coladas just blasting in the background. And, <laughs> you know, I just, I, but he could have been in a bar fight. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, before we get to that game, I, I do want to talk about my – that was a good pick. I do like Buffalo because obviously Antonio Brown's not walking through that door for Central Michigan. 
No. I like Missouri on the road one-point favorite against South Carolina. South Carolina just isn't that good. And, and I don't think Missouri's that good, but I think Drew Locke can put up numbers on any bad defense in the SEC. I like them in that one, so that's one that, I, that I'm going to monitor as well. As well as an interesting line where an undefeated team out of nowhere, the Cincinnati Bearcats, what do you think about them quickly? A touchdown favorite against Tulane who shocked Memphis last Friday. Cincinnati looks pretty good, and your boy Luke Fickle's been better than expected so yeah. far. Went at UCLA, won the first week. He's bounced back with a couple nice wins. And for Tulane, they're up and down. Like This is a team last week that surprised me. I did not think that they would beat Memphis, let alone dominate Memphis. And for Cincinnati, this is a big game because they're trying to keep themselves in contention for division championship, maybe make the American Athletic Conference championship game eventually. They're on the right step. And I would say, again, this isn't one of the, whenever I look down the list, this isn't one that caught my eye by any means. But I know what you're saying. Tulane had the big win last week. Now Cincinnati's going to humble them a bit. I, I, I could see that happening. And for Cincinnati, they're playing good defense, and that's Luke Fickle's side of the football. And sometimes it takes a year or two to get that together. I think in his second year, he's been a lot better at getting them over that hump. Yeah, this seems, again, this is where they get you. It seems too good to be true. I do like Cincinnati to cover here. but Now, if Tulane wears those <laughs> Marty green Clark. wave, that the helmet with the mean wave that's all blue with the green then they'll probably win because those helmets are awesome. And Tulane's done a good job of rebranding their athletic program and their football program. And, look, they're not a premier player. And, and, I mean, they're in New Orleans. They have their own on-campus stadium now, which is much better than playing in the Superdome. They certainly have enhanced their way up in terms of getting, you know, from Conference USA to now the American Athletic and just doing things the right way. But that logo is one of my favorites. The turnover beads are awesome. So I almost don't want to pull the trigger on this because i would rather see tulane win because i think they're a more fun team to watch just on the uniform aspect alone absolutely well we should address it now the alabama arkansas game because that's one that uh, it's it's the reason why this is a two-person show and yes look win or lose it it might be the reason why this is a two-person show going forward uh but that's just well i do think there are yeah i do think there are calls from like south america or some sort of Caribbean island if things go haywire good or bad so I yeah, think eventually I, he was we'll, talking we'll about Argentina yes. last like you know yesterday when we were discussing this randomly just totally out of the blue he's like he really loves Argentina and just wanted to know what I thought of it and if I knew anybody there I, I don't so did the, so did a lot of the Europeans after World War II if you know what I mean <laughs> uh, I don't know what you mean but anyway this game Alabama and Arkansas is uh a fascinating one because Alabama is 35-point favorites on the road. But the number that jumps out at us and that we were really looking into isn't 35 Alabama because obviously they're you know the premier team in college football. Isn't an over-under that's sitting at about 57. But it's that first half line, Kent. And you were, you were looking at it, and do we have it right about 22, 22 and a half? It's at 22, yeah. It's officially at 22 and. Alabama should kill Arkansas. And look, they've been the type of team you watched last week, and I know on the Gold Rush, Gothard uh, Yahoo show, that they went all in on Alabama with the 49 and then eventually were let down when there was a late score by the Raging Cajuns. Alabama doesn't care about covering 40-some point lines. It's just not the way they play football. And Nick Saban's shown throughout his history, especially in those games against Sunbelt schools or Mac schools or whoever they play, he really doesn't care about it. In the second half, it's hand the ball off, let's hope to avoid injuries and get out. But in the first half, we're seeing Tua come in, pretty much score touchdowns on every drive. And then when Jalen Hurts comes in, he's getting a lot of reps. He's scoring touchdowns on most of his drives. And then in the second half, you have Mac Jones just kind of hanging out, handing it off. And, you know, I mean, he had a 94-yard touchdown. It's not like he didn't do anything. But in general, this is a Bama team in the first half that's just been laying the wood on everybody and when you look at this Arkansas team, they have one win. They're terrible. They've gotten crushed several times. And I don't see how Alabama doesn't score five touchdowns in the first half. And if they score five touchdowns, that means they have to give up two touchdowns for us not to get this. This looks like a really easy bet. This is the reason why our pal and friend of the show, and maybe he'll make so much money off this he'll never associate with us two again. But I think overall he's going to come back and say, hey, boys, 
this was truly the moneymaker. He might do it in flamboyant style because that's how Gothard does it, clearly. But I think that this, when we saw this and I looked at that and said, this is probably going to be in like low 20s, and it is, we have to be all over this. I think we know this is our moneymaker this week, and it's the Bama cheat code. But the first half lines are probably the way to go in a lot of these games now because they don't want to play in four quarters if he doesn't have to. They don't want Jalen Hurts playing four quarters. So realistically, they want to get as many reps in the first half as they can, rest the starters in the third and fourth. And Arkansas is probably the worst team in the SEC West. And we already saw what they did against the second worst team in the West, Ole Miss. So I think that for this game, it's probably more likely that Bama's up 40 at the half than they would be 20. And the fact that it's only 22, I don't see how we don't jump all over this. Yeah, those are good points all around the board. The first half lines make the most sense, especially in conference play. I think that's another thing. Saban loves to just, if he can, just embarrass his SEC brethren in that first half. The second half is when they take their foot off the gas. Uh, I yeah, even if even if Tua got hurt, I would still feel comfortable with Jalen Hurts yes. covering this spread. That that should tell everybody what our level of confidence is. Arkansas is terrible. They they got destroyed by North Texas. I think this is a, a very simple thing. I'm just wondering. So this game is at okay, the game is at noon Eastern. Is it possible to charter a plane to Vegas for the uh, McGregor fight? Because we might see God, our boy on TV then. Oh, it's, it's it's not only possible. I would say it's extremely likely that that's going to happen. Wow. And yeah, I would say that you know they they might be doing a live gold rush next week from with there actual, as far with as actual we're gold with actual gold too so. why not yeah i mean exactly at that point actual gold i mean you might see you know gold chalices that he's drinking out of you might see you know a gold ring that he's wearing a gold necklace he just might go all in with that theme and you know roll tide again we've been good on them this year i think for the most part we felt like They've been the gift that keeps on giving the same way the Florida State's been entertaining for all the wrong reasons. Alabama's been great for all the right reasons. And first half, Arkansas, it's a conference game. There's no love loss here. And you want Tua to get six possessions. He'll probably score five touchdowns. And then we have it because Arkansas is not scoring two or three touchdowns on Alabama in the first half. Maybe they'll score late the way the Raging Cajuns did, but – I would feel very good if you tell me right now Bama has 35 at the half. I'd feel very good that this is a cover. My personal moneymaker this year, Kent, in addition to this pick that we all agree on, Bama in the first half line by 22. Will Greer has been just a gift to me. I know you guys doubted me a little bit last year, but not only is, is he having a great year and they cover again against Texas Tech last week, but West Virginia undefeated against the spread 4-0 this, this year. They get Kansas. A terrible Kansas team. Maybe not as bad as in years past, but still pretty bad. 27 and a half points. I got to just keep the hot hand going. I'm on Wilger in West Virginia this year. Do you think, you think this is where it ends, though? <laughs> no, no, no. It's definitely not where it ends. <laughs> Swear it, to you. Yeah. yeah, I think that overall, Will Greer's been, he's probably third on the Heisman list right now, maybe even second. Right now, it's 201. Then you have somewhere Will Greer, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins in that next group. And he's been great. And the fact that it's Kansas, which we know they're an awful team, I like West Virginia to roll here. I'm with you. I think that they continue to build themselves up. Yeah, I just I don't see it ending this week. And, and they will eventually probably lose the game and, and definitely probably fall against the spread as well. But they've just been a juggernaut offensively. The defense might worry you a little bit in this game. But I, I think there's no way West Virginia doesn't put up 50-plus against Kansas' defense, so I'm pretty confident there. Another big game, though, that we need to talk about. It's a pretty good early morning slate for a lot of reasons, but yes, the LSU-Florida game, which is the game that, from just a football perspective, I'm interested to watch because both these teams are a little better than we expected. This game wasn't as highly, highly anticipated the start of the season as it is right now. Florida at home, a two-point underdog coming off of that big win uh, big win at Mississippi State. Dan Mullen's squad, a two-point favorite against LSU at home. Afternoon kickoff locally. And they are, it's also 43.5 over under, so very low as well. I know we got one of those picks from, from our boy Gothard who said he likes Florida money line. I don't. I'm on LSU in this game. 
I think they're going to win, and I feel pretty confident about that. So I'll leave it to you to break the tie. Man, I would say overall that this is a game I don't feel great about either team in this situation where this would not be – if I'm going to break the tie, I would go with LSU here just because I have a bit more faith that they have a better overall football team. But I do question when they're going to just fall back a little bit. And for the Florida Gators, they don't have a whole lot to lose here in terms of – it's pretty evident they're not winning the East Division. They're not playing for a ton this year. This is a rebuilding year. And they got a nice win last week. But for Dan Mullen, he wins this game, and they're up in the top 15. They're probably even close to the top, let's say, 12. And now they're playing for something of can we be a team that keeps building and just over-succeeds altogether. For LSU – they're a good team, and they deserve to be ranked fifth. They dominated Miami. They beat Auburn, which was impressive. But they're also due for a letdown spot, which is why Gothard might be onto something here that maybe they just lay an egg. I would lean towards you just because I have a little bit more faith in LSU's defense at the moment, that they'll rise to the occasion and they'll limit Felipe Franks, make Florida one-dimensional, and they'll lose the game. But this is not one I feel great about either way. Yeah, and that over-under, by the way, is just dangling there. It's it's a very tempting stay away for me because it's only 43 points, but we've seen this game too many times. It could very well be under that uh, with ease. So I'm with LSU. I think they have the better team. I like Burrow at quarterback in this game. I do think Florida, better than expected, still might be playing with house money too. So that's a, a very weird one to say the least. Hey, as well, Kent, Here's another degenerate game or, or a scenario where maybe it's like you walk into a sports book, place a bet, and everyone just looks at you and stares aimlessly. Rutgers plays Illinois this week. Yeah. Illinois is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't think they've been five-and-a-half-point favorites against anybody in a long time. I don't, I don't know if they've been favorites <laughs> against anybody. This game, If you walk into any sports book, you can walk into any single one and you just – say I got a lot of money put this game on I think people are like really concerned I really do I I believe in humanity in this one I guess it depends on which sports book because I think if it's like one of the more trendy like if you're at the win or you're at Caesars or you know you're at let's say MGM I think a lot of people are mirage people might just go yeah like that's that is weird if you're at like one of the lower end ones then people are like oh I get it man like hey come over here I gotta tell you about my UTSA rice bet today and then you're like oh no (laughs) <laughs> like, this, this is this is not good at all. Like, <laughs> I almost feel like if you bet one of these type of games, like if you're going all in on Louisiana, Texas State, or UTSA Rice, or even like Rutgers, Illinois, worst case they should co- they should comp you a free buffet. Just be like, hey man, we get it, we get it. Here you go. What did you? Wh- whether you win or lose, you're still a loser. Yeah, so exactly. here's the free buffet. What did this? No matter wife, what. What did this guy's wife do to him? That's what I want to know. What did What did he walk into when he got home from work? <laughs> Exactly. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's just, I mean, obviously we're not betting on that game. We, we're, we're crazy, but we're not that crazy. Um, yeah, I'm not. That, you, that's, a, that's a definite hard pass for me. I do want to ask your opinion on a more serious note about a game that means a lot to you and means a lot to betters as well. Virginia Tech taking on Notre Dame. Kent, this was... Oh, I thought you were going to go Miami-Florida State there because we got to discuss that too. We will, we will, but I'm saving awesome. the... I'm saving the, the I would say the worst for last because Florida State's involved, but right. I, I, I want to talk for the premium game here. Notre Dame big win, which we discussed earlier on running with the money, but Virginia Tech, no slouch either. They proved us wrong. They proved to me that obviously your first instinct is correct. I flipped, went with Duke. Ryan Willis had a great game. I owe him an apology because I didn't see that coming. And, and suddenly this game feels a little more trappy. And, and as a Notre Dame fan, I think you kind of agree with that, that this is the type of game where – it could easily be lost. Notre Dame looked great, but Virginia Tech is sneaky good all of a sudden, or looked sneaky good last week, beat an undefeated Duke team, and now they play this night game in a great environment at home in prime time. I like, I think I like the points, but Notre Dame to win a close one. I think this is going to be a three or four point fighting Irish victory. Yeah, I would even say maybe a one point victory if that. I think this is going to be a very tough game for Notre Dame. And when you look at it, there's so many unanswered questions on the Notre Dame side in that how does a first-time starting quarterback, or I guess he's not a first-time starter. This is now his fourth overall start. But this is his first road challenge in a tough environment for Ian Book. How does he handle this? They have a new starting left guard, and you lose your senior captain who's been a a three-and-a-half-year starter. 
that's a tough replacement in this environment. You go to the receiving core and the tight ends. It's a lot of guys that doesn't that don't have a ton of experience. They've been pretty good the last couple of weeks, but a lot of guys that haven't been thrown into the mix as quote unquote the guy. Dexter Williams came off his suspension last week. This is going to be his first ever start for his entire career, and he's going into Virginia Tech to do it. And then on top of it, Virginia Tech, a lot of people bring up that old Dominion game two weeks ago. I don't think that that's really much of a factor in this game. I guess the one factor would be the Votek defense showed signs that you can move the football against them pretty easily. But on the other hand, that could have just been a game that they had no respect for the other program. They came in, things started going bad, and everything was out of sync. Josh Jackson went out. Willis came in. He was great last week. I expect this to go down to the wire. And for Notre Dame, I've seen in the past, they lose this type of game almost every year, where it's a game where they're on the road against a talented team at night. Brian Kelly comes in. They kind of make a lot of mistakes early. They get in a hole. And they never recover from that hole. And if that happens this year, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If they can get up 7-3 to three or 10-7 to seven or be tied at the half, then I like Notre Dame's chances to pull it out in the second half because they are the more talented team. But if they're in a 7-10 to 10 or 14-point hole at the half, I don't see them coming back from it. So I would definitely take the points in this one. It's now up to 7, wow. which is a lot. So I think for Virginia Tech's sake, that's you must. I'd feel pretty good if I'm a Hokie fan or a Hokie better that they don't. If they're going to lose, they don't lose by a touchdown or more. And for Notre Dame's sake, can they do what they did last week, which is just dominate the line of scrimmage, establish the run, have your quarterback feel comfortable in and out of the pocket, and then continually make plays all game? I would love to have them continue the blueprint with what they did against Stanford, but I don't see that happening in this game. I'll say a extremely narrow win, maybe by one, two, or three points. So when it comes to the line, take Vautech. The money line at plus 220 is not a bad option. I would avoid Notre Dame in this one altogether. I just think there's a lot of questions. I hope they answer them all with flying colors, and I'm satisfied with their performance. And I feel like, hey, I'm glad I was wrong about A, B, C, and D. But until they prove me otherwise, there's so many reasons to be concerned for this game, and I think it's going to go right down to the wire. I Again, I'll probably know a lot about this game 15 to 20 minutes into it, meaning if Notre Dame's up 14, I feel great. If they're down 14, you pretty much guarantee that they're going to lose this game. I just feel like it's one of those games that they've lost in the past. Maybe they're a better team than we all thought heading into the year, and they continue to get better, and they dominate another game against a ranked team. But for now, there's no reason for me to think that will happen. Yeah, I, I think the money line's a great play, and I think this is going to be very, very close. I, I like Notre Dame slightly, but uh, yeah, you cannot bet on them, I, I think, with uh, a lot of confidence going into this one. I'll give you your, your, your time now to talk about Miami and Florida State. Miami, a two-touchdown favorite against the turnover backpacks out of Florida State. Do they cover? Yeah, for Miami, yeah, yeah, I feel pretty good that they do. And this was actually a 12 or 12 and a half originally, which is the number you probably should have got it. It's now up to 14. But the main reason I keep going back to why Miami should win this game comfortably is Miami leads the nation in tackles for loss. Florida State is second to worst out of all the Power 5 teams and giving up tackles for loss that. So this is a game that plays right into Miami's hands. They're an aggressive defense. that They're going to send a ton of guys almost every play, and it's up to your quarterback or your line to block or pick up and recognize quickly and get it to a receiver. And there's nothing about Florida State's offense this year that's been quick, and they've been able to recognize anything a defense has sent their way. And the offensive line, a Miami friend of mine j- joked this week that there's five turnstiles on their offensive line. So you pretty much just run right through them and you get into the backfield, and that's not been far from the truth. So I love Miami to win that battle of the line of scrimmage. I think Nicozy Perry and the offense will move the ball enough to put up somewhere around 28 to 31 points. I don't see Florida State getting more than 14, so I do feel very good about Miami. Another one I feel good about that I want to touch upon, it's a night game, Wisconsin against Nebraska. Nebraska's been lifeless. Wisconsin wants to start to bring themselves back into the national conversation. They lost to BYU a few weeks ago. Ever since then, everyone's talking about Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan maybe being there. Wisconsin's kind of been the forgotten one again. They're probably going to send a message. This game's in Madison. It's a night game. Nebraska 
seemingly has no way of stopping a good offense and frankly not many ways of scoring a bunch of points I don't know why I thought this would be like 24 or 25 or somewhere in that mix the fact that it's only 17 and a half makes me think either someone knows something and we're all going to be wrong (laughs) or this is just one of those lines that jumps out as being seven points off where it should so I love Wisconsin in this one I I hear what you're saying and this is somebody that really liked the outcome personally of the Purdue Nebraska game I thought that was uh, a pretty a pretty smart one there I just don't know that that Wisconsin's gonna just go complete juggernaut mode and I think Nebraska could put up points late garbage time really screw that spread so I'm I'm in agreement but not total confidence I don't know that I'm gonna I'm gonna be fortunate enough to put on this one I think this game starts to get Jonathan Taylor back on the Heisman watch. He's a guy that, even in their loss, he still had like 120 rush yards or so. He wasn't bad. It's just they lost the game. He's going to probably put up 200-plus rushing yards in this game. I I can see a dominant effort where it's like 47-10 to or 43-14 to and something where they win going away. And that's why I said 17.5 just sounds way too low. If you really want to do it, tease Wisconsin to 10.5. Tease Wisconsin to 10.5, tease Bama first half to 15, and tell me that doesn't look very attractive. That looks really attractive. That means Wisconsin only needs to win by 11, and Bama only needs to win the first half by 16. Come on. Kent's coming I, out with I think those that teases. happens. You're coming Always. out with those teases. It's huh? that time. It's uh, They usually do pretty well. They do. They do. You're a good track record there. I'll say another thing quickly in passing. One. There's only one team, Ken, I don't know if you know this, that's got five wins and zero losses against the spread this year. You know who that is? I don't. It's Mike Leach is Washington State Cougars. There we go. And I'm Mike with... Leach who went zero rush yards <laughs> last week. And just ripped balance and just called a bunch of coaches morons. Um, I, I think that, that on the road, Oregon State, Oregon State's terrible. I'm going to ride it keep it going. I think they cover that 17 points. I also think UCLA is just got awful, and Washington is going to cover twenty and a half on the road too. So yeah, I that like them. that's one I just started like the, like this morning when I got up. I really hadn't looked deep. I haven't deep dived the way I probably normally would, and I looked at that one and thought, I know why. Again, I've already talked Am about I how Washington's the type right? of team. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But I've talked about how Washington's the type of team that doesn't need to win by 28 or 30 a lot. They're kind of fine winning by 14 or 17. But UCLA has been so bad that if you're Washington and now, frankly, the way the Pac-12 is starting to look, where Stanford looks maybe worse than expected, the entire South outside of Colorado looks worse than expected, you almost need to start sending messages and winning by 40 or 35. And that could definitely be... A game that, yes, if Washington, I think, wants to win and send the message, then 21 is very low. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. A few more to get to before we wrap this up. Kent Brown running with the money. The Red River shootout, Oklahoma and Texas. It's always a fascinating game. And, and I do have one bet that I like and one bet that I'm not crazy about, but I'm on a beat for. Texas is getting seven points in this game. I think it's going to be a close game. I like the points for Texas. Oklahoma has shown vulnerabilities. They're not quite the same team without Robbie Anderson. I just like the over. I think there's going to be a lot of points in this game. It's 61, 61 and a half. I'd be more confident with that. I love Texas to win this game. I think the Longhorns are. I think the Longhorns will show up. They'll force a couple turnovers. And for Oklahoma, look, if they don't turn the ball over, they probably score enough to win the football game. But for Texas... They're the type of team, they play good defense, they limit mistakes, they're running the football better than they used to, and this has been a really close game the last couple years. I Lincoln Riley, he puts up a ton of points against everybody in the conference except Todd Orlando and this Texas defense. Tom Herman now has been there a couple years. When you look at this Oklahoma team, though, one team they have struggled with, or at least one defensive coordinator is Todd Orlando. Shout out to him, Fox Chapel, Pittsburgh native. But Todd Orlando was the defensive coordinator at Houston when Tom Herman was there. He did a great job. They beat Oklahoma outright. Then last year he held Oklahoma under 30. They lost the game, but they were the only team to hold the Sooners with Baker Mayfield under 30 points. The defense is playing really well. They're confident. They're turning the other teams over a bunch. They're limiting turnovers. I think Texas pulls the upset, knocks off Oklahoma, and establishes themselves as in the mix for the Big 12. I don't see them running the table and being a playoff team or anything like that, but I do think the Red River shootout, they'll get the win. They'll beat Kyler Murray. The reason I don't love your over-under 
is because if Texas were to win this game, they probably need to win this in the low 30s at best, maybe even in the 20s. I don't see them scoring 40 or 45 to win. So therefore, I'm not going to agree with you on the over-under. I'm not saying it won't happen. I just wouldn't personally that wouldn't be a bet i like the one i like the most out of this is just texas plus seven or seven and a half i think it's actually with the hook now so hook them take the hook seven and a half i like texas a lot that's one of my biggest bets this week i think that they have a really good shot of showing up and again you mentioned this great noon eastern slate that's the signature game in that slate there's a lot of good early games you don't like money line though because you're you're, you're selling me oh i do i do as well yeah so if you can get the money line 240 250 somewhere in that mix i i do like that as well but i also just think if you're just going to take one thing from this the seven and a half looks really attractive because for them to not cover that i think they really need to lay an egg on offense and only put up like 13 or 14 if they get in the 20s i feel pretty good that that happens but yes if you want a little money line bet i do think that's a reasonable one to take always a close game weird things tend to happen in that game one other game I want to talk to before we wrap this up with uh, a little detailed discussion on one game that I'm all about, or my runner-up for the moneymaker pick. But before we get to that, one one runner-up game there, Kentucky and Texas A&M. You brought, you brought that up earlier, how Kentucky had proved you wrong. A&M's a six-point favorite against Kentucky, Kent, and we're getting to a point where do we decide it runs out this week, or does A&M lay an egg another egg at home and does kentucky keep the goodwill good surprise streak going i'm gonna buy into a&m here and the main reason is i like their chances to bounce back get the win and for kentucky's sake kentucky's very good but i don't think they're good enough that they win their biggest challenges on the road and this would be one of their biggest challenges texas a&m has shown so far remember they lost to clemson by two they lost to alabama by i think 22 which you know frankly is way closer than most teams are going to play bama They've proved themselves so far this season for me to think they're a legitimate top 25 team. And at home, those type of teams win these type of games. So for Kentucky's sake, I don't like their chances to get the win. I do think that Texas A&M wins this game. Now the number becomes the bigger issue because if you're Kentucky, it's at five and a half. You're undefeated. You have a good defense. Josh Allen, their defensive end, has, according to Pro Football Focus College, has been the best defensive lineman in the country this year. So that's always a good thing to have. And then on offense, you have Benny Snell, who's been one of the best five running backs in the country. But I don't love their passing game. I don't think they love their passing game. And A&M have a pretty physical front. Daylon Mack's really good. The linebacking core has been good. I think they'll make Kentucky more one-dimensional than what Florida was able to do or what South Carolina last week tried to do. And if they do that and they force... Kentucky to need to pass the football to win, then I think A&M finds a way to win and they probably cover. I I would say Kentucky covers this spread, but I'm in agreement that I do think A&M wins. And this is one that I have no confidence in as a betting man and will be standing on the sideline just curious to see what happens. A&M has shown flashes that they can play with and, and maybe beat just about anyone that's not in that elite level. This Kentucky team has been just checking all the boxes and doing everything that they could. And, and we'll see what happens. Their reckoning will come eventually. Oh, they have, yes. And again, yeah, they're not going 11-1 and or 12-0. and But for now, for Kentucky, if you lose to a team in the West, that's not the biggest deal. What you want to do is somehow beat Georgia and then not lose to a bad team, and then you could potentially win the East Division. But for A&M, this game means a lot for them. Jimbo's trying to sell himself as turning around this program. Didn't beat Clemson. He didn't beat Bama. But they can sell that, hey, we were on the right step. If you lose to Kentucky, you kind of negate those two performances. So I think that they'll show up. They'll play pretty well. And they'll win the game. And Kellen Mond has been really impressive. Trayvon Williams is going to be an NFL running back. They have good receivers. Again, a pretty physical front. I do think you can beat them deep. However, I don't know if Kentucky has the personnel to do that or want to consistently try that. Maybe Stoops throws a wrinkle in. He's not much of an offensive guy. He's a defensive coach. But maybe Stoop says, we're going to come out, try to beat him deep early. That way, at least if we do it, the defense has to respect that part of our game. But the way they've been playing all year, it's been power run, try to get 30, 40, 45 rushes to establish the line of scrimmage. And then if you have to pass, play action hit. I don't think they're going to come out and be aggressive over the top. And that plays in the A&M's hands. Yeah, how many face mask penalties do you think Jimbo will get this week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, what 
I, I personally don't, don't think that was that big of a story. No. I mean, look, yeah. it's something he shouldn't do. Uh-huh. It's something that, frankly, you know, you know you're, it's going to get caught on camera. You're not at a closed practice. But overall, look, the player said it wasn't a big deal. He didn't hurt him. He just wanted to send a message. You know, if he slaps the helmet or something, that's a little different. But just grabbing the face mask. I guess some, some people were saying, well, he jerked the face mask. Like, that really doesn't change the whole yeah. dynamics. And uh, also just speaking of face masks and people, you know, netminders. You know, I grew up. I played some goalie as a kid. Hockey is back. And I yeah. know that for I you know. and I, there's a lot there that we oh. love when it comes to this sort of deal. And look, this is just not a college football podcast. <laughs> we're going to kind of keep that theme throughout the year. But hockey's back. Golf is over. Tennis for you is always big. We have the MMA and boxing. I mean, the mm-hmm. fact that Deontay Wilder is going up against Tyson Fury at Staples Center in December, that's a huge one. And for hockey, man, if you would have had the over on the Capitals-Penguins <laughs> yesterday, you would have felt pretty good after the first eight minutes because there were five <laughs> goals I know. in the first that's... ten minutes of that game, 13 goals total. I thought it would slow down a little bit. No. It never did. Seven to six, overtime win for the Pens. Hey, I'll take the win. But as a former goalie and somebody who wants to see – the netminders be kind of consistently decent, if not good. That was not a good night for Holt B or Murray. That was a, that was a train wreck of a game to watch. If you like good defensive hockey, it was fun because the Pens ultimately won the game. But man, you had Tom Hanks in the crowd wearing a Penguin sweater because he's out. He's he's filming the Mister Rogers movie, so he was in the crowd getting pumped up. But overall. That was an odd game to watch, and it, it was just honestly a fun, a fun night. We have baseball postseason going on now, so for my own personal sake, I hate trying to bet on bullpens, but I like first five innings with a good starting pitcher. Right. There are going to be some of those this postseason. I'll probably throw out there as we do this, but it's a fun time. It's always a fun time for sports. It is. But right now, you have hockey back. Yeah. Basketball comes back in a couple weeks. There's going to be baseball postseason for the next month, so there's a lot going on in addition to NFL, college, and all of that. And before we switch sports, and, and just to put a bow on this college football, the last game I don't want to forget about, Kent, I like Auburn, Mississippi State. I feel really confident about Auburn to cover three and a half points. Mississippi State's terrible. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I'm picking Mississippi State this week, and oh, okay. a, lot of it, a lot of it just has to do with the fact that I want to buy in and want to give them one more chance. And it's almost like I've been cheated on by Mississippi State the last two weeks. That, that's never a and good I'm in, thing. Yeah, I'm, she'll, she'll be faithful this one time. And I'm in the relationship with Mississippi State, and I say, eh, I'm going to give you one more chance. It could have happened to anybody. It was just Nick Fitzgerald guy. just does not look like the same quarterback that, that he used to be. And I thought in this Joe Moorhead offense, and especially when they inserted this new running back, Kylan Hill, to go with Aries Williams, I thought, their ceiling could be 45 points a game or something crazy like that. And they only have 13 total points in their last two games, and they're going up against a very good Auburn defense. I'll Again, I'll give them one more week, and I'll hope that – and I'll pray that they find a way to prove me wrong or, you know, not, not prove me wrong, prove me right in that they're a better football team than I anticipated. But if they lose this week, especially if they lose only scoring 7 or 10 like they have been – then I'm out on Mississippi State, but I'm going to give them one more chance. <laughs> okay, I I just I'm I'm the friend that's like, look, Kent, she's just not a nice person. I just I, I I'm done, I'm done with the with Mississippi State after that Florida performance and Florida Kentucky back to back just not looking good, and now they got to figure it out against uh, an Auburn team that while their offense looked a little sluggish, that had a very long rain del- lightning delay. It was a disjointed game. I think Auburn's gonna gonna win here because they don't want to fade into oblivion either. So they need to keep winning to keep their hopes alive. I like Auburn in this one. All right, that's gonna do it for the college football part. Before we go here on running with the money, Kent Brown, UFC. You mentioned two twenty nine. It it might go down possibly as the biggest pay per view ever. We'll see what kind of buys it does. Maybe get to two million. McGregor, Khabib, the lightweight title fight. Who do you have winning? You said you were all invested on one. Which fighter is that? I love Connor. I think I think he's going to show up and he's going to knock out Khabib in either the first or the second round. And whenever you look at that, if you want to go round to round, you can make bets on that. I think you can really find you know round one exact outcome. So if you go KO, TKO, or DQ, it's plus three thirty three. If you go round two exact outcome, it's plus four seventy five. I would say take one of those. 
and bet that. And, and really, you don't even have to take Connor there. It's anybody who does it, you win. I, I don't think this is going to be a long fight. If it is a long fight, if it goes the full five, then I think Connor loses. But I expect him to come out, make a statement, and put himself back into the mix of the best pound per pound fighter in all of MMA. And that's where at one point he was known to be, or at least in that mix. And now Khabib has established himself as that type of guy. And I'm pumped for it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. There's also some props of like, will John Jones be shown at, at UFC 229? And I kind of mm-hmm. think that's probably a yes, just because if we know a lot about Dana White, he loves to promote and just kind of show the guy and go, oh my God, why is he here? What's going to happen? So I can see that happening. You know, again, total rounds, if you want to do one of those, you go maybe under one and a half rounds, get it at plus 125. There's all types of fun stuff you can do with this. The method of victory, there's so much of that. So you can really get fun with your decision. And Connor wins by KO, TKO, or DDQs plus 160. <laughs> that means he can do it in any of his rounds. So I just, I'm going to go all in with Connor knocking out or at least winning by TKO or KO over Khabib. What do you think? Because I know you're a big fight fan, boxing and uh, MMA. I feel like we're going to disagree on this one. Totally excited for this fight. Khabib is a minus 155 favorite and. I'm really looking forward to it, but I like Khabib. I, I, we do disagree on this one. Connor's a great fighter. I just think Khabib is so well-versed. And you, you hit the nail on the head, though. Connor has to basically knock him out and stop him probably early to win this fight because that's the advantage he has is the hand speed, is the movement, is the striking ability. Khabib has every other advantage and has dealt with strikers, probably not as elite as Connor, but I just, I, I'm so fascinated by this fight because I've talked to other MMA people, people that cover the sport full-time. They don't think it's going to be close either one way or the other. So this is a bet where if you go through, if you make it through the first or second round with Connor and he hasn't landed his strikes, I wouldn't be feeling good. But if you're a Khabib better, you got to think, man, it could end early for me in the first two rounds. So it's going to be an antsy start to this fight. The fact that they hate each other, there's going to be a lot of trash talk, and they both said they're not going to shake hands after the fight already. I just can't wait for it. And I, I think a little bit's been overblown on just how much the quote-unquote two-year layoff factors in. This is not a guy that hasn't been training throughout this time. I know he was training for a boxing match against Floyd Mayweather, but it's pretty similar training in many ways in terms of the cardio, striking, right. things like that. Maybe he wasn't spending as much time on the ground, but that's not really Connor's game anyways. He's not a guy that if it goes to a ground game, He's losing. Yeah, and and the cardio side of it, that's always been a question even before the layout, is he's going to probably land his strikes or land some strikes. Oh, definitely. In the Diaz fights, when they didn't get through him because Diaz just bled all over himself and didn't care about getting hit, it was like a zombie walking right back into his face. That's when it got to Connor, like, what else can I do? And that's when you're in a war, and and then it it starts to affect you. So I I think this is going to be great. I think this is going to be a blood sport type fight. I just think Khabib's ability to just take him down and get him to the ground will ultimately wear him down unless he gets knocked out really quickly. Well, right, and and that's where I think Connor wants to go. It's kind of like the old Ronda Rousey effect where she comes in and if she doesn't get you in this first minute, minute and a half, and for her sake it was 30 seconds, then she has to adjust and she has to change her mindset. And Connor's kind of the same way where he comes in and it's going to be probably first two minutes. I'm knocking this guy out where if he doesn't, then he has to change his mindset. And that's always the advantage for the other fighters. You saw Holly Holm mm-hmm. be able to do it. And then you saw the year later, Ronda getting destroyed again. And now you see Connor. He's a guy who... You know, he has as much confidence as any athlete that's ever lived. I mean, maybe Mayweather's the only one who has more confidence than him in what he can do. But he knows what his strengths are, and he knows what his weaknesses are. But he also knows that his strengths mean, I have to get after this very early. And look, I don't see this. If if he goes the first minute and a half, he doesn't knock him out. It will probably extend into the second. And we mentioned Khabib's a guy who, pacing-wise, you get into the fourth or fifth round, He's probably going to win those rounds, and if he can win on points, he's not going to be upset about it. Where Connor wants to be able to send that message, knock him out, you know, be the undisputed top, you know, MMA, UFC, just overall pound for pound fighter there is. And he knows the best way to do that is knock him out, send that message. Right. I don't think he feels too confident winning on points if it goes. Exactly. 
to a decision. But yeah, it, it should be a great fight. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. And then, you know, I already mentioned the 231 too. There's some good fights in that as well. So it's shaping up to be, be pretty good here for the next couple. You see, it, it's been kind of a down period for UFC the last maybe six, seven, eight months. But I think they're trending upwards. They certainly are, and we can't wait for that. And quickly, we before we go here on Running With The Money, you mentioned hockey. I do have some things to say about that. Future odds are out there. I, I think some smart bets at the top of there. Winnipeg and Toronto look pretty good at 8-1. to one. It's hard to repeat. The Capitals are 16-1. to one. I, I don't like that. Nashville's another team at 12-1. to one. I think you can get good value. Along with, if you're looking for a long shot out there and you think who can really make a run, be this Vegas, Maybe not that. I mean, that's never going to happen again, a, a long shot like that. But the Dallas Stars at 33-1, to 1, I think, are a good play long-term. As well as, I hate to say it, Kent, the Flyers, 25-1. to 1, They're going to be much better this year. I think they're really going to contend. For the Stanley Cup or for the most laughable team with a horrible mascot? Both. I think you can parlay that into some serious bank. I know you hate the Flyers, I mean, but they are going to be better. One of those two are going to hit. It's just, <laughs> just going to be the latter. It's not going to be the former. Yeah, Flyers be to better. win the Cup. That's... That's just, you might as well just burn your money. Okay. That I, knew, one. I knew that uh, was coming. I knew that was coming. They're I would my, say, okay. They're not my pick, if, but if, if we're if looking, I'm looking for shot, If yeah. I'm looking for a sleeper, and I'm going to throw this out there as a team that's never won one. They went to the cup a couple years ago. The Penguins beat them. But yeah. the Sharks have a pretty good roster going. They, they did. 12 to 1 is not what I would consider a sleeper. That's like tied for fourth. Well, true. Sleeper. But but yeah. but I also just, I think they're going to, you know, when now it's divisional. So you're in your pod for your division and they're in the you know the pacific division pod i feel like they're going to get out of that and go to the western conference finals and if that's the case and you're up against winnipeg let's say or you're up against nashville. you know whoever comes nashville let's say or dallas or somebody i feel like i feel pretty good that the sharks would put up a good fight in that series and Again, I'm not saying they're the best team in the in the league, but I do feel like they have a really good roster, and they're going to be the type of team that it's worth looking at. The Penguins are always a pretty good bet because anytime they take the ice, they have arguably the two best players, if not maybe the best three or four players on the ice. Uh, I do wonder if Nashville kind of had their peak, and now it mm. starts falling apart. I kind of think your Blue Jackets are like that. I'm not yeah. so sure that I'm not so sure that they're going to be a playoff team this year, but Toronto on paper has everything i do question do they have the experience come cup time to do it because we see a lot of teams they'll do really well in the regular season and then you get into the stanley cup playoffs and it's a different game and guys with experience rise to the occasion and guys that haven't been there don't so i wouldn't necessarily feel great about the maple leafs as a quote-unquote favorite but the winnipeg jets are probably top to bottom about as good as it gets this year in the NHL, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they are a team that ends up winning the Cup and being the first Canadian team since the 93 Montreal Canadiens to actually do it. So I would say yeah. the Jets, the Sharks, the Penguins, if I had to throw one more Eastern Conference team, I guess I'd probably go Bruins. I'm just I'm not going to buy into the Maple Leafs. Or the I can Leafs. buy into the Bruins. So, yeah. so those are probably my four if you're just looking for future Cup bets. And none of them are quote-unquote sleepers, but yeah. I think all of them will have really good seasons. Yeah, I mean, we could have Toronto-Winnipeg in an all-Canadian final. That would be ridiculous, too. And, that and that would just, be cool. It is just hard to repeat. We know that with the Capitals. Here's my best bet of the year, though. This is what I think he, I would do, if I, aside from any other hockey bet, this is the one I'm on. Austin Matthews, MVP, 10-1. to 1. I'm, I'm all yeah. in on him winning the MVP. I think it's going to come down, honestly, Kent, to him and Connor McDavid. McDavid will probably win the, lead the league in points yet again, which is also a pretty safe bet as well yeah but, but the one thing about the media yeah. the one thing about the media is it's toronto based in many ways in mm -hmm. canada mm -hmm. and the narrative is going to be Connor mcgivitt's probably on a team that if they get in the playoffs or in one of those wild card spots and then if you look at austin matthews he's going to be a guy that that's probably like the one seed or the two seed in his division if not you know the best as you said he might be on the best regular season team and yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, now, McDavid's going to put up great numbers, but it is him and a whole bunch of mediocre players where Toronto has they have so many weapons. They do. And Austin Matthews already, did he have, what, two or three points in their first game? He had two, and he had the game winner. So I, yeah, I just, so he's off to a good start. There's no lock Edmonton makes the playoffs either, and I think Toronto's going to be a juggernaut. Matthews going to put up points. He doesn't have his MVP, too. That kind of plays into effect. McDavid's already won one. I think we're going to see it. 
can we just move the Arizona Coyotes to Quebec City? Like, like I, let's do it. That should have already been done. Like, there's no reason they're a team. Move them to Quebec. Switch a little bit in one division. Move somebody else. Like, move the Colorado Avalanche bring to the Pacific the Division. <laughs> yeah, bring back the Nordiques. Put them right in. And, and now you have a central division that has the Nordiques, the Winnipeg Jets, you know, some Nashville who's been better, Minnesota who got a team back, like all these teams, all the cities that should have had teams. And then you're going to have Seattle in the future. They'll bring they'll bring in a new team. Or just, I mean, maybe you can keep Arizona and just put Quebec in the central and that's your new team. And now every division has, you know, your eight teams. But I just I watch like when I see the Coyotes and the fact that they changed it to Arizona is funny to me. But when I just see that they're a franchise, especially like Austin Matthews is from Phoenix, like that's where he grew up and played. And you're watching them and you're just like that just shouldn't be a team. And they have their own arena, which is baffling that they don't share one with the Suns. And I just I don't like they're one of those teams like if they ended up doing well. That would be a disappointment to me. It was when the Atlanta Thrashers ever did well. You just didn't like it. You're like, why does yeah. it? Why do they have a team? So overall, I'm I'm pumped for the season. I think there's a lot of redemption factors with the Penguins. Mm. Uh, I think for the Capitals, they got theirs, but they're a team that you know is on the radar, no matter how good or bad they're playing. And you start looking at Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and a lot of the influx of young players. I think the Detroit Red Wings would be better than they've been in the past couple years. So it should be a pretty exciting year, and we'll have to talk more and more as the season goes on. But I just can't take a lot of these 7-6 games, man. It's bad for the heart. It really is. I don't mind 2-1, 3-2, whatever, but 7-6, to six, come on. Oh, it's great when you're not rooting for uh, either team to necessarily win. But, yeah, crazy that Austin Matthews, who will probably go down as the greatest American hockey player probably ever when it's all said and done, is from Scottsdale. It's basically from Phoenix, Arizona. Scottsdale. Who do you like? By the way, who do you like? Because uh, the Major League Baseball playoffs just officially got underway this week. Who do you like to win the World Series? Because to me, it's probably going to be an American League team. I like the Dodgers out of the yeah, National it, League again. Yeah, I would say I I do think Red Sox is probably the is probably the team that is most likely going to win the World Series based on how stacked that lineup is. But the best value bet to me is the Dodgers because I think they can just roll through to the championship, and then once they're there, then it gets really hard. But I think you have the best value right now in the divisional round with betting on the Dodgers. But it's going to probably I agree. be an AL team, and Do- I'd say Red Sox. Dodgers for divisional. Dodgers for championship series i think they make world series and i'm i'm rooting for the red sox a little because alex cora is a a university of miami alum it would Mm -hmm. be cool to see he's the first ever miami alum to be a major league baseball manager and if he can win the world series in his first year there i think it'd be cool and it'd be good for the school because he is somebody who miami a lot of people don't know this Miami baseball has been just about as good as Miami football over the last 30 years. They've won as many national championships in baseball as they have football during that time span. And Alex Cora is one of their beloved guys. He comes back a lot, does a lot of stuff for the program. And he's you know a guy that a lot of UM alums really like and root for. And now that he's the Red Sox manager, I think it's pretty cool to sort of see him do well. Yeah, I'm an Indians fan. I hope they do well, but I'm not as optimistic as I was in years past. So we'll see what happens. Kent Brown, this was great running with the money week six. And he, I, I wish Gothard was here, but I understand why he wasn't, and uh, I hope to see him again. I'll just sign off with that.